Hi guys, welcome to this free anaesthetic tutorial on local anaesthetics for the primary FRCA. And my name's Dan, I'm an anaesthetic ST3 in Mersey. I'm currently doing some revision for the final. So one way that I feel I maximize my revision is by trying to make some videos and some audio tutorials. So I thought I'd share this one that I made the other day. Do let me know if you get any benefit from it. Let me know if there's anything that you think needs to be added or taken away or is completely wrong because I might get asked about it in my exam and I don't want to look silly. One other thing to flag up to you is that we're organising the Mersey Video Viva Club for the November Primary SOE. I'll leave some details in the show notes. So if you're looking for structured, convenient, zero cost, peer-to-peer -peer Viva sessions where you're just looking for a bit more practice, then maybe have a little look at the programme. And we've already had 90 people sign up, so hopefully you'll be in good company. Okay. Without further ado, let's get on with this. So a couple of learning objectives. So first of all, we're going to understand the basic structure of local anaesthetics. We're going to relate that to the function and potential adverse effects of local anaesthetics. Describe the pharmacodynamics, the pharmacokinetics. We'll talk about some common local anaesthetic agents that we use in practice. Okay, so local anaesthetics generally suppress action potentials in excitable tissues, and they do this by binding to the voltage-gated sodium channels. They inhibit action potentials. They do inhibit pain fibers, but they also inhibit other fibers as well. By inhibiting the action potential, they block transmission of pain. So in terms of the anatomy and physiology of the nerve, first of all, so the nerve's function is to transmit electrical activity to and from the central nervous system. We've generally got a number of different classifications of fibers, but it's the A fibers that transmit the action potentials fastest. And they do this due to myelination and having a larger diameter. There are four different A level fibers. The A alpha fibers supply muscle, the A beta fibers, they transmit tactile sensation, the A-gamma fibers innervate muscle spindles, and the A-delta fibers transmit cold and pain sensation. Generally, the A-alpha fibers have the largest diameter and therefore the fastest conduction velocity. The A-delta has the lowest conduction velocity of the A-level fibers. There are also myelinated B fibers and their autonomic preganglionic fibers. They've got a slightly lower diameter than the A fibers and so have a slightly slower conduction velocity. And finally, we've got unmyelinated C fibers and these transmit dull pain from skin and viscera and they, as you might imagine, demonstrate the slowest conduction velocity. If we're doing surgery, if the patient suffered some trauma, generally there's local inflammation which activates pain receptors and these are located in the free nerve endings of the A delta fibers and they can be found in a number of places such as skin, muscle, joints, bones and even organs and this results in an, the activation of a voltage gated sodium channel which sits in the on the inside of the membrane of the nerve. They're also present in the myocardium as well which is important. The channel is one of three states. It's either resting, it's open or it's inactivated. And so let's talk about the rest and membrane potential and how that's formed. So in the resting state, the neuronal membrane potential is around 70 millivolts. And this is kept in check by the sodium potassium ATPase, which sits in the membrane. And it causes a greater concentration of potassium inside the cell, pumps out sodium to the outside of the cell. 
It is possible for the potassium ions to move down their concentration gradient passively, so they will leave the cell passively. However, the negatively charged anions, the most common is the plasma protein, that remains within the cell, and that's what generates the negative rest and membrane potential. How is the action potential formed then? So we have nociceptor activation. This causes opening of the voltage-gated sodium channel. And once the threshold potential, which is around minus 50 millivolts, is reached, this causes coordinated sodium channel opening. And that will cause a flux of sodium into the cell. This flux of sodium into the cell causes an action potential to be produced. And this has a peak potential of about plus 40 millivolts. The sodium channel will then become inactivated. There'll be an efflux of potassium ions. And that is what causes repolarization of the nerve back into its resting state. And then the sodium potassium pump will restore order and the rest and membrane potential will be restored. So then how do local anesthetics work? First thing to say is that the lipophilic, the unionized local anesthetic molecule is able to cross the lipid bilayer of the membrane of the nerve. When it gets into the nerve, the molecule will then dissociate and it will reach a new equilibrium. And this is dependent on a couple of factors. So one is the intracellular pH, but the other thing is the pKa of the local anesthetic agent. And we'll talk a bit more about pKa in a moment. It's the ionized form of the local anesthetic agent that binds to the sodium channel. And this is reversible and in a concentration dependent manner. And given this, the local anesthetic nerve blockade will also be concentration dependent. So we know that local anesthetics can't discriminate between the different types of fiber. But what they do do is provide variable blockade to each different type of fiber. And during epidural anesthesia, sympathetic blockade requires lower doses of local anesthetic compared to other types of fiber. And this can be demonstrated because sympathetic blockade reaches a higher dermatome compared to other types of fiber for a given dose of local anesthetic. The next most susceptible type of fiber are those that carry temperature and pain. The next is followed by proprioception. And finally, their largest diameter motor fibers are then most resistant to the local anesthetic action. But during an epidural or for a spinal, for that matter, it is important that the anesthetist explains to the patient that whilst they shouldn't be able to feel sharp pain because it should be blocked, they may still be able to feel pressure because of this differential blockade to the different types of fiber. So there are some potential adverse effects of local anesthetics. Lidocaine and bupivacaine are probably the most common type of local anesthetic that we use. And because myocardial cells also have sodium channels, it is possible for local anesthetics to bind to those sodium channels. Bupivacaine is felt to be more risky because it has a higher affinity for the myocardial sodium channels and dissociates more slowly and therefore it could accumulate in those tissues and that's why there is a higher risk of re-entry induced arrhythmias with bupivacaine. That's essentially the reason why we tend to use levobupivacaine and I'll talk a bit more about levobupivacaine in a moment. So there are a number of factors about the preparation of the local anesthetic agent and they generally are formulated 
as a hydrochloride salt, and that makes them water-soluble. They contain preservatives, they can contain fungicides, and generally, only the preparations without any additives are suitable for neuraxial administration. However, we know that something like heavy marcaine oil, for example, contains glucose, and that is safe. Adrenaline or phelipressin can be added to solutions, and this slows down absorption from the site of injection, and this essentially is to increase the duration of blockade. We want to avoid adrenaline containing preparations in areas such as for example the penile block where there is end vascular structures where that could accumulate and cause tissue necrosis. So a bit about the pharmacological structure of the local anesthetic molecule. So it contains three principal parts that we need to know about. The first part is the aromatic group, the second part is the intermediate link and the third part is the tertiary amine. And it's the intermediate link which is really important for categorizing the local anesthetic agent. And local anesthetic agents can be either esters or amides. So taking the esters first, examples are cocaine and imifocaine. The esters are generally metabolized by serum esterases. However, cocaine is a little bit different and that's hepatically metabolized. And I'll talk a bit more about that in a second. The other thing to say about the esters is that there is an increased risk of allergic reactions. And this is because because of this molecule called PABA, which is para-aminobenzoate. It's a metabolic intermediate, and so that can lead to allergic reactions. And then the amide. So there are a number of amides. We've talked about lidocaine and bupivacaine being the most common. Generally, they're metabolized by the liver, and generally they're renally excreted as well. So now there's some key pharmacology that we need to know about. And there are three things that we should talk about. So one is speed of onset, one is potency, and one is duration of action. Of action. So the speed of onset first, and that's dictated by the PKA and also so the molecular mass of the local anesthetic agent. Potency is dictated by lipid solubility and duration of action is dependent on protein binding. So what is PKA? Well, the dissociation of the local anesthetic molecule is dependent on its PKA and also on the pH of the environment into which it is injected. And the PKA is the pH at which the unionized and the ionized components of the local anesthetic molecule exist in equal amounts. Given that local anesthetics are alkaline, they're bases, the higher the PKA, the greater the ionized fraction and the ratio of the unionized to the ionized fraction can be described or worked out by the Henderson Hasselbach equation. So the Premier League restarted this weekend and the way I remember that equation is think about Jordan Henderson and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank having a right old scrap. And as you can see here, it's um, that's essentially how you work it out with the A- in brackets being the ionized form and the AH in brackets being the unionized form. So how can we apply this principle of PKA to agents that we're familiar with? Well, the first thing to say is that we know that the rate of diffusion across the membrane is directly related to the proportion of non or unionized drug. In order for the drug to get through the lipid bilayer, it needs to be unionized. Local anesthetics, therefore, with a lower PKA have a faster onset of action. Lidocaine has a PKA of 7.8, whereas bupivacaine has a PKA of 8. 8.1. And because at body pH, 
Lidocaine's pKa is closer to the pH of 7.4. Lidocaine has a faster onset of action. Things to be aware of though, in infected tissue, the environment is then more acidemic. The pH is lower and that increases the proportion of drug that is to be found in the ionized form. That reduces the amount of drug that can cross the membrane and therefore it will reduce the action of the local anesthetic agent. And that's why sometimes local anesthetic infiltration doesn't tend to be particularly affected around areas of abscess formation. So coming to lipid solubility next, what we know is that if the drug is more lipid soluble, it will enable more rapid diffusion through the lipid membrane, so the lipid bilayer, and so it will reach the site of action quicker. The greater the lipid solubility of the agent, the greater the potency of the agent. So this means for a given effect, the amount of the agent delivered or the concentration of the agent delivered will be lower. We're then going to talk about protein binding. So local anesthetics that have a higher protein binding tend to have a longer duration of action. There are a number of factors which reduce protein binding. So things like low oxygen environments, high carbon dioxide environments, low pH environments. And because of that, because of the reduced protein binding, there is a risk that systemic toxicity can occur because the local anesthetic agent is no longer bound to plasma proteins. It can then be absorbed into the systemic circulation. So we need to be aware of that when we're dealing with more unwell patients. Another concept to think about is vasoactivity. And earlier on, I mentioned about the differences between lidocaine and bupivacaine. Another thing to be aware of is that lidocaine is more rapidly absorbed by the systemic circulation and because of this it has a lower duration of action compared to bupivacaine. Now one thing that we can do to lidocaine is to add some adrenaline and by adding adrenaline this causes vasoconstriction and this reduces the absorption of the lidocaine into the systemic circulation and will increase its duration of action. So we're going to talk a little bit about some pharmacokinetics now and the first thing is absorption. So the site of administration can affect the systemic absorption of a local anesthetic agent and therefore it can affect the duration of action of the agent. Generally, if I'm injecting a local anesthetic agent subcutaneously, this has the lowest rate of absorption. However, if I were to inject it intercostally, this has the highest rate of systemic absorption and therefore we need to be aware of number one, the duration of action is going to be lower if we inject it intercostally and number two, we need to think about the risk of toxicity because higher concentrations are going to get into the systemic circulation and go to places like the brain and the heart where we perhaps don't want them to function. The next thing to say is distribution. Generally, ester local anesthetics are less protein bound compared to amides. And when protein binding is increased, that means that there's a lower free fraction of the drug available. With regards to metabolism and clearance, we've talked a little bit about this already, but esters are hydrolyzed rapidly in plasma and that's by pseudocholinesterases. We've talked about paraaminobenzoic acid and that could cause allergic reaction. There is obviously a difference in half-life between different agents. Tetracaine has the longest half-life of the ester local anesthetics. 
The other thing to be aware of is that cocaine, unlike other extra local anaesthetics, undergoes hepatic metabolism before being renally excreted. With regards to amides then, they undergo hepatic metabolism. And so we have to be aware that in hepatic dysfunction, amide local anaesthetics may accumulate. The other thing is that they avoid the paraaminobenzoic acid. And so the rate of allergic reactions is much lower with the amides. The next thing to talk about is some common preparations because in the exam, we're often asked to compare two different preparations um, with regard to their pharmacology and pharma pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics. So I'll just talk you through a couple of the common agents. So the first thing, the first one is lidocaine. It's an amide local anesthetic. It is class 1B antiarrhythmic action. Can be used to control ventricular tachycardia. It's presented as a colorless solution. It has variable concentrations. It can be given with or without adrenaline and is also um, available in different preparations so for example as a gel as an ointment can be used as a topical spray as well so lidocaine is 70% protein bound it undergoes extensive hepatic metabolism it's excreted in the urine and the one thing to be aware of its clearance is reduced in the presence of either hepatic or cardiac failure bupivacaine is prepared as a 0.25 or 0.5% solution glucose can be added to prepare it for spinal anesthesia but due to concerns around cardiac toxicity its use is more or less been superseded by levobupivacaine so talking about levobupivacaine it's an S enantioma of bupivacaine, whereas bupivacaine has a racemic mixture, so it has the R enantioma as well. Let me know if you want a um, tutorial on isomerism. That will be a good thing to, to learn for me as well. It's prepared as a 0.25, a 0.5 or a 0.75% solution. And the other important thing about levobupivacaine compared to bupivacaine is the dose required to produce myocardial depression or convulsions is higher than bupivacaine. And therefore, it's felt to be safer and therefore that's why we tend to use levobupivacaine more commonly now. Pralocaine is another amide anaesthetic agent that you might see. Um, it's less commonly used to be honest but it can be used for regional anaesthesia. Um, it's the most widely or the most rapidly metabolized amide local anaesthetic and it does have a metabolite that we need to be aware of this otolidine and that can precipitate methoglobinemia especially if pralocaine is used in higher doses. This is important because pralocaine is used in EMLA and I'll talk about that in a minute and that's generally used in pediatric practice. Well neonates are at the highest risk because they lack an enzyme this methemoglobin reductase and so so they would be at significant risk of methoglobinemia. Coming to repivacaine now, it appears to be used quite infrequently. I don't think I've ever seen it used. However, apparently it does have some benefits compared to bupivacaine. It's got lower lipid solubility and this causes a reduction in penetration to the larger myelinated fiber. So essentially it is less likely to cause motor block. It's less dense and it is of a shorter duration compared to bupivacaine and so it could be used for epidural anesthesia i guess and there might be some benefits to that that doesn't appear to be quite widely used the other thing to say is that like the other amides it's hepatically metabolized coming to some esters next 
So cocaine is probably the one you're most familiar with. It's an ester, as we've said. It's contained in Moffat solution. So this is generally used quite a bit in nasal cavity surgery. Contains cocaine, sodium bicarbonate, and adrenaline. Cocaine works by blocking uptake of monoamine oxidase. It stimulates the central nervous system. It can precipitate hypertension. It can cause arrhythmia. It can cause high temperatures. And in higher doses, it can come it can cause a number of adverse effects. The cardiac rupture in particular seems to be quite worrying. It's highly protein bound and as I've already said, it undergoes hepatic hydrolysis. Coming back to eutectic mixture of local anesthetic, this EMLA. When two compounds are mixed to produce a substance, that substance behaves with a single set of characteristics and that is what the definition of eutectic is. So EMLA contains 2.5% lidocaine and also 2.5% pralocaine in an oil to water emulsion. It's got a lower melting point if the um, substances were found individually. And so it's an oil at room temperature rather than a crystalline solid. It can be used to anesthetize the skin before cannulation. It tends to be used in pediatrics, but it needs to be applied to intact skin. It needs to be under an occlusive dressing and it needs to be given at least 60 minutes before you're planning on cannulation to, for it to have an effect. Amethicane, another ester, is useful for topical anesthesia as well. It's got a faster onset of action to Emla about 30 minutes or so and its effects last for four to six hours. If like me, you've forgotten in the past to give Emla to a child on the emergency list, if you think on before 30 minutes before you're planning on putting the cannula in, you can think about giving some amethicane as well and that would be topical. So we've covered a couple of the individual local anesthetics and so we'll just le I'll leave you with some conclusions then. The first thing is that local anesthetics work by voltage-gated sodium channel blockade. There are two principal types, the esters or the amides. There are a number of key pharmacodynamic principles that you'll need to know for the FRCA exam. That's PKA, molecular weight, lipid solubility, and protein binding, and how those factors affect the action of different anesthetic agents. You need to know the differing kinetics between the amides and the esters. And because local anesthetic agents are so commonly used in our practice as anesthetists, it's a really common question in the FRCA. RCA. Um, and so I would say it's a an absolute key topic to get your head around before doing any of your exams. Okay, thanks so much for listening to that. Um, I hope this format was useful. If you found it useful, do let me know. If you didn't, if you'd have any suggestions or any clarifications or any way that you think we could make these tutorials better, or even if you want to get involved in making some tutorials, do let me know. Get me through YouTube or got a Gmail account, which is free anesthetic tutorials at gmail.com. Okay, thanks very much. See you now.